Many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality in the lives that we're living right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who are looking to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. Hope everybody has had the chance to live it up a little bit. I'm very excited today to get into the next chapter of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. We're going to be beginning chapter four, Mind Strategies for Avoiding the Now. And I think one of the more poignant parts of chapter three that really kept popping up in my life after reading that, or really it opened my eyes to it, I think maybe my perception changed, was all of the concepts of time. And I got a little bit, you know, science-y in, in, you know, I guess philosophical in my podcast about is time an illusion, but the concepts that are in the book regarding psychological time versus clock time, that's a very tough thing for most people to break. But once you do, your life really does transform in a whole different way when you can really break your illusions of time. I think that's just a really valuable lesson for most people to take away from that chapter, if anything. Also, there was another section towards the end of the chapter where it was titled, Finding the Life Underneath Your Life Situation. And that most people are going through something in their life, and they call it their life, quote, life. And it can be more accurately called your life situation. That your current situation, based on psychological time, past and future, basically something happened there that didn't go the way that you wanted it to. If your current life situation is not a pleasant one. And if that's the case, you're still resisting what happened in the past. And now you're kind of resisting what is. And I think what can really help hammer it home for people is this one sentence in here, these couple of sentences, is that he says, forget about your life situation for a while and pay attention to your life. Your life situation exists in time. Your life is now. Your life situation is mind stuff. Your life is real. And I feel like just that simple statement was something that just resounded for me. I highlighted that spot and I really needed that advice over the last few weeks since we've last read this chapter. Had a lot of things go down and trying not to focus so much on those things as they've gone by, as they've gone downriver. I'm trying to focus on right now. What can I do right now to make the best of those situations because they're there, they're set in stone. That's where my life currently is. Where am I taking it now? And I think that's just such a valuable mindset to get into because you just don't get in the trappings of what should have been and what could have been and you know what could be and everything else. Um, I talk about it so much on the podcast, 
But really, I do it because I want to hammer those things home because I think that's one of the basic fundamental mindsets that you really need to adopt to drastically transform the way that you grab a hold of the steering wheel in your life. So that's enough of that. Let's get into chapter four. Again, the title of this one is Mind Strategies for Avoiding the Now. The first section of this chapter is titled Loss of Now, the Core Delusion. In italics, it says, even if I completely accept that ultimately time is an illusion, what difference is that going to make in my life? I still have to live in a world that is completely dominated by time. Intellectual agreement is just another belief and won't make much difference to your life. To realize this truth, you need to live it. When every cell of your body is so present that it feels vibrant with life, and when you can feel that life every moment as the joy of being, then it can be said that you are free of time. In italics it says, But I still have to pay the bills tomorrow, and I'm still going to grow old and die just like everybody else. So how can I ever say that I'm free of time? Tomorrow's bills are not the problem. The disillusion of the physical body is not a problem. Loss of now is the problem, or rather, the core delusion that turns a mere situation, event, or emotion into a personal problem and into suffering. Loss of now is loss of being. To be free of time is to be free of the psychological need of past for your identity and future for your fulfillment. It represents the most profound transformation of consciousness that you can imagine. In some rare cases, this shift in consciousness happens dramatically and radically once and for all. When it does, it usually comes about through total surrender in the midst of intense suffering. Most people, however, have to work at it. When you've had your first few glimpses of the timeless state of consciousness, you begin to move back and forth between the dimensions of time and presence. First, you become aware of just how rarely your attention is truly in the now. But to know that you are not present is the great success, that knowing is presence, even if initially it only lasts for a couple seconds of clock time before it's lost again. Then, with increasing frequency, you choose to have the focus of your consciousness in the present moment rather than in the past or future. And whenever you realize that you had lost the now, you're able to stay in it, not just for a couple of seconds, but for longer periods of per- as perceived from the external perspective of clock time. So before you are firmly established in the state of presence, which is to say before you are fully conscious, you shift back and forth for a while between consciousness and unconsciousness, between the state of presence and the state of mind identification. You lose the now and you return to it again and again. Eventually, presence becomes your predominant state. For most people, presence is experienced either never at all or only accidentally and briefly on rare occasions without being recognized for what it is. Most humans alternate not between consciousness and unconsciousness, but only between different levels of unconsciousness. The next section. Ordinary unconsciousness and deep unconsciousness. In italics, 
What do you mean by different levels of unconsciousness? As you probably know, in sleep, you constantly move between the phases of dreamless sleep and the dream state. Similarly, in wakefulness, most people only shift between ordinary unconsciousness and deep unconsciousness. What I call ordinary unconsciousness means being identified with your thought process and emotions, your reactions, your desires and aversions. It is most people's normal state. In that state, you are run by the egoic mind and you are unaware of being. It is a state not of acute pain or unhappiness, but of an almost conscious low level of unease, discontent, boredom, and nervousness. A kind of background static. You may not realize this because it is so much part of normal living, just as you're not aware of continuous low background noise, such as the hum of an air conditioner until it stops. When it suddenly, when it suddenly does stop, there's a sense of relief. Many people use alcohol, drugs, sex, food, work, television, or even shopping as anesthetics in an unconscious attempt to remove the basic unease. When this happens, an activity that might be very enjoyable is used in moderation, if used in moderation, because it becomes imbued with a compulsive or addictive quality, and all that is ever achieved through it is extremely short-lived symptom relief. The unease of ordinary unconsciousness turns into the pain of deep unconsciousness, the state of more acute and more obvious suffering or unhappiness. When things go wrong, when the ego is threatened, or there is a major challenge, threat, or loss, real or imagined in your life situation, or conflict in a relationship, it is an intensified version of ordinary unconsciousness, different from it, not in kind, but in degree. In ordinary consciousness, habitual resistance to or denial of what is creates the unease and discontent that most people accept as normal living. When this resistance becomes intensified through some challenge or threat to the ego, it brings up intense negativity such as anger, acute fear, aggression, depression, and so on. Deep unconsciousness often means that the pain body has been triggered and that you have become identified with it. Physical violence would be impossible without deep unconsciousness. It can also occur easily whenever and wherever a crowd of people or even an entire nation generates a negative collective energy field. The best indicator of your level of consciousness is how you deal with life's challenges when they come. Through those challenges, an already unconscious person tends to become more deeply unconscious. And a conscious person more intensely conscious. You can use a challenge to awaken you, or you can allow it to pull you into an even deeper sleep. The dream of ordinary unconsciousness then turns into a nightmare. If you cannot be present even in normal circumstances, such as when you are sitting alone in a room, walking in the woods, or listening to someone, then you certainly won't be able to stay conscious when something, quote, goes wrong, or you are faced with difficult people or situations, with loss or the threat of loss. You'll be taken over by a reaction which is ultimately which ultimately is always some form of fear and pulled into a deep unconsciousness. Those challenges are your tests. Only the way in which you deal with them will show you and others where you are at as far as your state of, of consciousness is concerned, not how long you can sit with your eyes closed or what visions you can see.
So it is essential to bring more consciousness into your life in ordinary situations when everything is going relatively smoothly. In this way, you grow in presence power. It generates an energy field in you and around you of a high vibrational frequency. No unconsciousness, no negativity, no discord or violence can enter that field and survive, just as darkness cannot survive in the presence of light. When you learn to be the witness of your thoughts and emotions, which is an essential part of being, you may be surprised when you first become aware of the background static of ordinary unconsciousness and realize how rarely, if ever, you are truly at ease within yourself. On the level of your thinking, you will find a great deal of resistance in the form of judgment, discontent, and mental projection away from the now. On the emotional level, there will be an undercurrent of unease, tension, boredom, or nervousness. Both are aspects of the mind in its habitual resistance mode. The next section, what are they seeking? Carl Jung tells in one of his books of a conversation he had with a Native American chief who pointed out to him that in his perception, most white people have tense faces, staring eyes, and a cruel demeanor. He said, they're always seeking something. What are they seeking? The whites always want something. They're always uneasy and restless. We don't know what they want. We think they're mad. The undercurrent of constant unease started long before the rise of Western industrial civilization, of course. But in Western civilization, which now covers almost the entire globe, including most of the East, it manifests in an unprecedentedly acute form. It was already there at a time at the time of Jesus, and it was there 600 years before that at the time of Buddha, and long before that. Why are you always anxious? Jesus asked his disciples. Can anxious thought add a single day to your life? And the Buddha taught that the root of suffering is to be found in our constant wanting and craving. Resistance to the now as a collective dysfunction is intrinsically connected to loss of awareness of being and forms the basis of our dehumanized industrial civilization. Freud, by the way, also recognized the existence of this undercurrent of unease and wrote about it in his book Civilization and Its Discontents. But he did not recognize the true root of the unease and failed to realize that freedom from it is possible. This collective dysfunction has created a very unhappy and extraordinarily violent civilization that has become a threat not only to itself, but to all life on the planet. The next section, Dissolving Ordinary Unconsciousness. The question, so how can we be free of this affliction? Make it conscious. Observe the many ways in which unease, discontent, and tension arise within you through unnecessary judgment, resistance to what it is, and the denial of the now. Anything unconscious dissolves when you shine the light of consciousness on it. Once you know how to dissolve ordinary unconsciousness, the light of your presence will shine brightly, and it will be much easier to deal with deep unconsciousness whenever you feel its gravitational pull. However, an ordinary unconsciousness may not be easy to detect initially because it's so normal. Make it a habit to monitor your mental emotional state through self-observation. I am at ease with this moment is a good question to ask yourself frequently. Or you can ask, what's going on inside me at this moment? 
be at least as interested in what goes on inside you as what happens outside. If you get the inside right, the outside will fall into place. Primary reality is within. Secondary reality without. But don't answer these questions immediately. Direct your attention inward. Have a look inside yourself. What kind of thoughts is your mind producing? What do you feel? Direct your attention into the body. Is there any tension? Once you detect that there is a low level of unease, the background static, see in what way you're avoiding, resisting, or denying life, or by denying the now. There are many ways in which people unconsciously resist the present moment. I will give you a few examples. With practice, your power of self-observation, of monitoring your inner state, will become sharpened. The next section, freedom from unhappiness. Do you resent doing what you're doing? It may be your job, or you may have agreed to do something you're doing and are doing it, but part of you resents and resists it. Are you carrying unspoken resentment toward a person close to you? Do you realize that the energy you thus emanate is so harmful in its effects that you are in fact contaminating yourself as well as those around you? Have a good look inside. Is there even the slightest trace of resentment, unwillingness? If there is, observe it on both the mental and emotional levels. What thoughts is your mind creating around the situation? Then look at the emotion. Which is the body's reaction to those thoughts? Feel the emotion. Does it feel pleasant or unpleasant? Is it an energy that you would actually choose to have inside you? Do you have a choice? Maybe you are being taken advantage of. Maybe the activity you are engaged in is tedious. Maybe someone close to you is dishonest, irritating, or unconscious, but it, all this is irrelevant. Whether your thoughts and emotions about the situation are justified or not, it makes no difference. The fact is that you're resisting what is. You're making the present moment into an enemy. You're creating unhappiness, conflict between the inner and the outer. Your unhappiness is polluting not only your own inner being and those around you, but also the collective human psyche of which you are inseparable part. The pollution of the planet is only an outward reflection of an inner psychic pollution. Millions of unconscious individuals not taking responsibility for their inner peace. Either stop doing what you're doing, speak to the person concerned and express fully what you feel, or drop the negativity that your mind has created around the situation and that serves no purpose whatsoever except to strengthen the false sense of self. Recognizing its futility is important. Negativity is never the optimum way of dealing with any situation. In fact, most cases it keeps you stuck in it, blocking real change. Anything that is done with negative energy will become contaminated by it, and in time give rise to more pain, more unhappiness. Furthermore, any negative inner state is contagious. Unhappiness spreads more easily than a psychic than a physical disease. Through the law of resonance, it triggers and feeds latent energy in others, unless they are immune, that is, highly conscious. Are you polluting the world or cleaning up the mess? You are responsible for your inner space, nobody else's. Just as you are responsible for the planet. As within, so without. If humans clear inner pollution, then they will also cease to create outer pollution. The question in italics. How can we drop negativity as you suggest? 
By dropping it. How do you drop a piece of hot coal that you are holding in your hand? How do you drop some heavy and useless baggage that you're carrying? By recognizing that you don't want to suffer the pain and carry the burden anymore, and then letting go of it. Deep unconsciousness, such as the pain body or other deep pain, such as the loss of a loved one, usually needs to be transmuted through an accepted acceptance combined with the light of your presence, your sustained attention. Many patterns in ordinary unconsciousness, on the other hand, can simply be dropped once you know that you don't want them and you don't need them anymore. Once you realize that you have a choice, that you are not just a bundle of confined, a conditioned reflexes, all of this implies that you are able to access the power of now. Without it, you have no choice. The question, if you call some emotions negative, aren't you creating a mental polarity of good and bad, as you explained earlier? No. The polarity was created at an earlier stage when your mind judged the present moment as bad. This judgment then created the negative emotion. In italics, But if you call some emotions negative, aren't you really saying that they shouldn't be there? That it's not okay to have those emotions? My understanding is that we have that we should give ourselves permission to have whatever feelings come up, rather than judge them as bad or say that we shouldn't have them. It's okay to feel resentful. It's okay to be angry, irritated, moody, or whatever. Otherwise, we get into repression, inner conflict, or denial. Everything is okay as it is. Of course, once a mind pattern, an emotion, or reaction is there, accept it. You were not conscious enough to have a choice in the matter. That's not a judgment, just fact. If you had a choice or realized that you do have a choice, would you choose suffering or joy, ease or unease, peace or conflict? Would you choose a thought or feeling that cuts you off from your natural state of well-being, the joy of life within? Any such feeling I call negative, which simply means bad. Not in the sense that you shouldn't have done that, but just plain factual bad, like feeling sick in the stomach. How is it possible that humans killed in excess of a hundred million fellow humans in the 20th century alone? Humans inflicting pain of such magnitude on one another is beyond anything you can imagine. And that's not taking into account the mental, emotional, and physical violence, the torture, pain, and cruelty that they continue to inflict on each other as well as on other sentient beings on a daily basis. Do they act in this way because they are in touch with their natural state, the joy of life within? Of course not. Only people who are in a deeply negative state, who feel very bad indeed, would create such a reality as a reflection of how they feel. Now they're engaged in destroying nature and the planet they sus that sustains them. Unbelievable, but true. Humans are a dangerously insane and very sick species. That's not a judgment. It's a fact. It's also a fact that the sanity is there underneath the, underneath the madness. Healing and redemption are available now. Coming back specifically to what you said, it is certainly true that when you accept your resentment, moodiness, anger, and so on, you are no longer forced to act out on them blindly, and you are less likely to project them onto others. But I wonder if you are not deceiving yourself. 
when you've been practicing acceptance for a while, as you have, there comes a point when you need to go on to the next stage where those negative emotions are not created anymore. If you don't, your, quote, acceptance just becomes a mental label that allows your ego to continue to indulge in unhappiness and so strengthens its sense of separation from other people, your surroundings, your here and now. As you know, separation is the basis for the ego's sense of identity. True acceptance would transmute those feelings at once. And if you really knew deeply that everything is, quote, okay, as you put it, and which, of course, is true, then would you have those negative feelings in the first place? Without judgment, without resistance to what is, they would not arise. You have an idea in your mind that everything is okay, but deep down you don't really believe it. And so the old mental-emotional patterns of resistance are still in place. That's what makes you feel bad. In italics, that's okay too. Are you defending your right to be unconscious? Your right to suffer? Don't worry, nobody's going to take that away from you. Once you realize that a certain kind of food makes you sick, would you carry on eating that food and keep asserting that it's okay to be sick? The next section. Wherever you are, be there totally. In italics. Can you give me some more examples of ordinary unconsciousness? See if you can catch yourself complaining in either speech or thought, about a situation you find yourself within, what other people do or say, your surroundings or life situation, even the weather. To complain is always not acceptance of what is. It invariably carries an unconscious negative charge. When you complain, you make yourself into a victim. When you speak out, you are in your power. So change the situation by taking action or by speaking out if necessary or possible. Leave the situation or accept it. All else is madness. Ordinary unconsciousness is always linked in some way with the denial of the now. The now, of course, also implies the here. Are you resisting your here and now? Some people would always rather be somewhere else. Their, quote, here is never good enough. Through self-observation, find out if that is the case in your life. Wherever you are, be there totally. If you find your here and now intolerable and it makes you unhappy, you have three options. Remove yourself from the situation, change it, or accept it totally. If you want to take responsibility for your life, you must choose one of the three options, and you must choose now. Then accept the consequences. No excuses. No negativity. No psychic pollution. Keep your inner space clear. If you take any action, leaving or changing your situation, drop the negativity first, if at all possible. Action arising out of insight into what is required is more effective than action arising out of negativity. I'm going to read that one again. If you take any action, leaving or changing your situation, drop the negativity first if at all possible. Action arising out of insight into what is required is more effective than action arising out of negativity. Any action is often better than no action, especially if you have been stuck in an unhappy situation for a long time. If it is a mistake, at least you learn something, in which case it's no longer a mistake. 
If you remain stuck, you learn nothing. Is fear preventing you from taking action? Acknowledge the fear. Watch it. Take your attention into it. Be fully present with it. Doing so cuts the link between fear and your thinking. Don't let the fear rise up into your mind. Use the power of now. Fear cannot prevail against it. If there is truly nothing that you can do to change your here and now, and you can't remove yourself from the situation, then accept your here and now totally by dropping all inner resistance. The false unhappy self that loves feeling miserable, resentful, or sorry for itself can then no longer survive. This is called surrender. Surrender is not weakness. There is great strength in it. Only a surrendered person has spiritual power. Through surrender, you will be free internally of the situation. You may then find that the situation changes without any effort on your part. In any case, you are free. Or is there something that you, quote, should be doing, but are not doing it? Get up and do it now. Alternatively, completely accept your inactivity, laziness, or passivity at this moment, if that is your choice. Go into it fully. Enjoy it. Be as lazy or inactive as you can. If you go into it fully and consciously, you will soon come out of it. Or maybe you won't. Either way, there is no inner conflict, no resistance, no negativity. Are you stressed? Are you so busy getting to the future that the present is reduced to a means of getting there? Stress is caused by being here but wanting to be there. Or being in the present but wanting to be in the future. It's a split that tears you apart inside. To create and live with such inner split is insane. The fact that everyone else is doing it doesn't make it any less insane. If you have to, you can move fast, work fast, or even run without projecting yourself into the future and without resisting the present. As you move, work, run, do it totally. Enjoy the flow of energy, the high energy of that moment. Now you are no longer stressed, no longer splitting yourself into two, just moving, running, working, and enjoying it. Or you can drop the whole thing and sit on a park bench. But when you do, watch your mind. It may say, you should be working. You're wasting your time. Observe the mind. Smile at it. Does the past take up a great deal of your attention? Do you frequently talk and think about it, either positively or negatively? The great things that you've achieved, your adventures or experiences, or your victim story and the dreadful things that were done to you, or maybe what you did to someone else. Are your thought processes creating guilt, pride, resentment, anger, regret, or self-pity? When you're not only reinforcing a false sense of self, but also helping to accelerate your body's aging process by creating an accumulation of past in your psyche, Verify this for yourself by observing those around you who have a strong tendency to hold on to the past. Die to the past every moment. You don't need it. Only refer to it when it's absolutely relevant to be present. Feel the power of this moment and the fullness of being. Feel your presence. Are you worried? Do you have many what-if thoughts? Are you identified with your mind, 
which is projecting itself into an imaginary future situation and creating fear. There is no way that you can cope with such a situation because it doesn't exist. It's a mental phantom. You can stop this health, this life-corroding insanity, simply by acknowledging the present moment. Become aware of your breathing. Feel the air flowing in and out of your body. Feel your inner energy field. All that you ever have to deal with, cope with, in real life, as opposed to imaginary mind projections, is this moment. Ask yourself what, quote, problem you have right now. Not next year, tomorrow, or five minutes from now. What is wrong with this moment? You can always cope with the now, but you can never cope with the future, nor do you have to. The answer, the strength, the right action or resource will be there when you need it. Not before, not after. One day I'll make it is your goal taking up so much of your attention that you reduce the present moment to a means to an end. Is it taking the joy out of your doing? Are you waiting to start living? If you develop such a mind pattern, no matter what you achieve or get, the present will never be good enough. The future will always seem better. A perfect recipe for permanent dissatisfaction and non-fulfillment, don't you agree? Are you a habitual waiter? How much of your life do you spend waiting? What I call, quote, small-scale waiting is waiting in line at the post office in a traffic jam at the airport or waiting for someone to arrive to finish work and so on. Large-scale waiting is waiting for the next vacation, for a better job, for the children to grow up, for a truly meaningful relationship, for success, to make money, to be important, to become enlightened. It is not uncommon for people to spend their whole life waiting to start living. Waiting is a state of mind. Basically, it means that you want the future. You don't want the present. You don't want what you've got. And you want what you haven't got. With every kind of waiting, you unconsciously create inner conflict between your here and now, where you don't want to be, and the projected future where you want to be. This greatly reduces your quality of life by making you lose the present. There's nothing wrong with striving to improve your life situation. You can improve your life situation, but you cannot improve your life. Life is primary. Life is your deepest inner being. It is, also, it is already whole, complete, perfect. Your life situation consists of your circumstances and your experience. There is nothing wrong with setting goals and striving to achieve things. The mistake lies in using a substitute for the feeling of life, for being. The only point of access for that is the now. You are then like an architect who pays no attention to the foundation of a building, but spends a lot of time working on the superstructure. For example, many people are waiting for prosperity. It cannot come in the future. When you honor, acknowledge, and fully accept your present reality, where you are, who you are, what you're doing right now, then you fully accept what you have got. You're grateful for what you have got, grateful for what is, grateful for being. Gratitude for the present moment and the fullness of life now is true prosperity. It cannot come in the future. Then, in time, that prosperity manifests for you in various ways. If you're dissatisfied with what you've got, or even frustrated or angry about your present lack, that may motivate you to become rich. 
But even if you do make millions, you will continue to experience the inner condition of lack, and deep down you will continue to feel unfulfilled. You may have many exciting experiences that money can buy, but they will come and go and always leave you with an empty feeling and the need for further physical and psychological gratification. You won't abide in being and so feel the fullness of life now that alone is true prosperity. So give up waiting as a state of mind. Then you catch yourself slipping into waiting. Snap out of it. Come into the present moment. Just be and enjoy being. If you're present, there is never any need for you to to wait for anything. So next time somebody says, sorry to have kept you waiting, you can reply, that's all right, I wasn't waiting. I was just standing here enjoying myself. Enjoy in myself. These are just a few of the habitual mind strategies for denying the present moment that are part of ordinary unconsciousness. They are easy to overlook because they're so much a part of normal living. The background static of perpetual discontent. But the more you practice monitoring your inner mental emotional state, the easier it will be when you have been tapped in past or future, trapped in past or future, which is to say unconscious, and to awaken out of the dream of time into into the present. But beware, the false unhappy self based on mind identification lives on time. It knows that the present moment is its own death and feels very threatened by it. It will do all it can to take you out of it. It will try to keep you trapped in time. The next section. The inner purpose of your life's journey. The question italics. I can see the truth of what you're saying, but I still think that we must have purpose on our life's journey. Otherwise, we just drift. And purpose means future, doesn't it? How do we reconcile that with living in the present? When you are on a journey, it is certainly helpful to know where you're going, or at least in the general direction in which you're moving. But don't forget, the only thing that is ultimately real about your journey is the step that you're taking at this moment. That's all there ever is. Your life's journey has an outer purpose and an inner purpose. The outer purpose is to arrive at your goal or destination, to accomplish what you set out to do, to achieve this or that, which, of course, implies future. But if your destination or the steps you're going to take in the future take up so much of your attention that they become more important to you than the steps you are taking now, then you completely miss the journey's inner purpose, which has nothing to do with where you are going or what you are doing, but everything to do with how. It has nothing to do with future, but everything to do with the quality of your conscious at the consciousness at the moment. The outer purpose belongs to the horizontal dimension of space and time. The inner purpose concerns a deepening of deepening of your being in the vertical dimension of timeless now. Your outer journey may contain a million steps. Your inner journey only has one, the step you're taking right now. As you become more deeply aware of this one step, you realize that it already contains within itself all the other steps as well as the destination. This one step then becomes transformed into an expression of perfection, an act of great beauty and quality. It will have taken you into being, and the light of being will shine through it. This is both the purpose and fulfillment of your inner journey. 
the journey into yourself. In italics, does it matter whether we achieve our outer purpose, whether we succeed or fail in the world? It will matter to you as long as you haven't realized your inner purpose. After that, the outer purpose is just a game that you may continue to play simply because you enjoy it. It is also possible to fail completely in your outer purpose and at the same time totally succeed in your inner purpose. The other way around, which is actually more common, outer riches and inner poverty. Or to gain the world and lose your soul, as Jesus puts it. Ultimately, of course, Every outer purpose is doomed to, quote, fail sooner or later, simply because it's subject to the law of impermanence of all things. The sooner you realize that your outer purpose cannot give you lasting fulfillment, the better. When you have seen limitations of your outer purpose, you give up your unrealistic expectation that it should make you happy, and you make it subservient to your inner purpose. The final section of the chapter. The past cannot survive in your presence. In italics, you mentioned that thinking or talking about the past unnecessarily is one of the ways in which we avoid the present. But apart from the past that we remember and perhaps identify with, isn't there another level of past within us that is much more deep-seated? I'm talking about the unconscious past that conditions our lives, especially through an early childhood experience, perhaps even past life experiences. And then there is our cultural conditioning, which has to do with where we live geographically and the historical time period in which we live. All these things determine how we see the world, how we react, what we think, what kind of relationships we have, how we live our lives. How could we ever become conscious of all that or get rid of it? How long would that take? And even if we did, what would there be left? What is left when illusion ends? There's no need to investigate the unconscious past in you except as it manifests at this moment as a thought, an emotion, a desire, a reaction, or an external event that happens to you. Whatever you need to know about the unconscious past in you, the challenges of the present will bring it out. If you delve into the past, it will become a bottomless pit. There is always more. You may think that you need more time to understand the past or become free of it, in other words, that the future will eventually free you of all of the past. This is a delusion. Only the present can free you of the past. More time cannot free you of time. Access the power of now. That is the key. In italics, what is the power of now? None other than the power of your presence, your consciousness liberated from thought forms. So deal with the past on the level of the present. The more attention you give to the past, the more you energize it, and the more likely you are to make a, quote, self out of it. Don't misunderstand. Attention is essential, but not to the past as past. Give attention to the present. Give attention to your behavior, your reactions, your moods, thoughts, emotions, fears, and desires as they occur in the present. There's the past in you. If you can be present enough to watch all those things, not critically or analytically, but non-judgmentally, 
then you are dealing with the past and dissolving it through the power of your presence. You cannot find yourself by going into the past. You find yourself by coming into the present. In italics, isn't it helpful to understand the past and so understand why we do certain things, react in certain ways, or why we unconsciously create our particular kind of drama, patterns in relationships, and so on? As you become conscious of your present reality, you may suddenly get certain insights as to why your conditioning functions in those particular ways. For example, why your relationships follow certain patterns. And you may remember things that happened in the past or see them more clearly. That is fine and can be helpful, but it is not essential. What is essential is your conscious presence. That dissolves the past. That is the transformative agent. So don't seek to understand the past, but be as present as you can. The past cannot survive in your presence. It can only survive in your absence. Wow, and that ends chapter four. I mean, every one of these chapters that goes by, uh, I mean, it just hammers home so much of the mindset that I've adopted now. And, you know, I realize I still have so much to learn. Um, you know, with some challenging times that I've had recently, I've find myself slipping and I don't find myself observing myself until it's too late. I observe myself outside of the moment. And then, of course, you have those moments of regret and everything. But as I'm reading the words in this chapter, I'm I'm thinking about some of the moments where I haven't acted in my highest version of myself and how being more present, having that freedom and ability to break away from the past and the future and be immersed in the present much more helps you guide and redirect some emotions and patterns that you may have otherwise acted out in. And likely would help you control some outbursts that you maybe sometimes, um, maybe sometimes regret. Definitely a, a lot of things I would like to go over in this in the uh, the beginning of the next episode. So definitely uh, tune in for the next episode, and we will be reading chapter five, which is the state of presence. It's not what you think it is. I want to thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate. Um, all of the, all the listenership, all the support that's coming through for the podcast, everybody who really enjoys these power of now, uh, readings. And I know they continue to be a really high point for a lot of people. And there's a lot of repeat listens on the chapters. So, um, I hope that continues to go well. If you have some suggestions for the books to read after this one, um, please send me an email. You can email me at connect C O N N E C T at livethislife.org. I'm thinking of maybe reading uh, A New Earth after this one, the next book by Eckhart Tolle uh, that came shortly after this one. Um, it's kind of hard to top this one, so I want to make sure that I, I move on to something that's pretty good. But if you have some suggestions for other things, uh, please let me know. Again, love you all. Thank you so much for all of your support, everything that you do to support the podcast. Until next time, keep living. Thanks for listening.